Welcome to the Gnomecast, a Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the astounding Amadea Rosa, the esteemed Eric Bontz, and the grand GM Gerrymander. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Jared and JT. What tries to be a short-form thing while also diving into a deeply embedded aspect of gaming that can also be considered highly annoying? Well, an episode of the Gnomecast talking about riddles, of course. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get-to-know-a-gnome question. What is one of the cleverest moments you've ever had or seen while playing an RPG? I mean, honestly, figuring out things before anyone else. Jared, I'm going to start with you. Okay, so I am not clever, but I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'm going to claim this one because uh, I still appreciate the damage that I caused to the campaign. So I was playing an Eladrin Paladin in Fourth uh, Edition D and D, and we were you know on this mission to unravel who the big you know horrible evil you know people were that were undoing this artifact and i managed to string together so many unconnected things into this conspiracy that pointed towards the candlemakers guild which came completely out of nowhere and i was so compelling that some of the fellow players were like that almost makes sense <laughs> and that became a running joke for the rest of the campaign the this is just more proof it's candle makers, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, JT? Honestly, I'm I'm kind of slow on the uptake on most of these riddles and quizzes and like clues and hidden hidden information. I don't know why. Maybe I, I accept things at face value and, and don't look for the subtext. Uh, it's not that I miss it. It just takes a while for my brain to integrate the, the information and put the puzzle pieces together. Um, so I'm going to talk about an old roommate of mine from uh, uh, early mid '90s. The dude had a knack for getting from point A to point B to point C through dungeons, mazes, all the misdirections you can throw at him. He would take the shortest route from the entrance of said maze or dungeon or whatever and get to the goal of the dungeon or maze in the shortest route possible. And, be, and the rest of the party is like. Yay, we got into the dungeon. Yay, we killed the dragon. Yay, we're leaving. <laughs> and I was like, well, I have like 47 other rooms that, I <laughs> that you guys didn't experience. Oh, no. Uh, so um, it was a love-hate relationship. I, I love playing with the guy, but I hated his capability of just shortcutting a dungeon. <laughs> the only time I got him is I provided a map that said go left, and the map had the left side of this dungeon that was laid out in, in a particular way. And the right side of the dungeon was a mirror of the left, but rotated like, I don't know, 45, 50 degrees. Um, and he walked in. He's like, well, the map says left. We're going to go right. And he realized that their map was aligning with the right hand side. So he knew for sure he was correct. <laughs> when, in fact, he should have gone left like the, 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 the map that they got from the old man in the tavern said to go. So I, I actually told him which way to go. And it was like a reverse psychology <laughs> kind of thing. And that was my, my moment of triumph over Mike's ability to shortcut a dungeon. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's my uh, cleverness in a game story. How about you, Ange? So I've got two. The first one is my friend, Paul was running us a mutants and masterminds, Marvel superheroes, street level superheroes games set in Detroit in the 1970s. And, you know, being a street level street level game, we were, of course, facing adversaries like Loki and Mephisto. And we still we, we still wow. give Paul grief about his street level campaign. 
Anyway, our characters had been in some sort of alternate dimension. It wasn't Mephisto's dimension. It was some other demon devil-like Marvel supervillain. And we have bounced out of it. And we found ourselves on the deck of a ship in the middle of a cold storm in obvious colder weather. And tell it was fresh water. And I just paused for a second. And I'm like, Paul, is this the effing Edmund Fitzgerald? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's like, damn it, Ange! <laughs> There's only a song about it. <laughs> and then the other one was in my friend Tristan's long run, long-running D&D city campaign. City campaign seems to be a theme here. <laughs> we had an arch enemy who was called the Ebon Cowl. And the Ebon Cowl had a magical artifact that would hide his visage from anybody. You could have a conversation face-to-face with this man, and the moment he walked away, you'd have no idea who he was. Like, you just could not hang on to the memory of who he was. And this guy was a thorn in our side from the beginning of the campaign, and as we were gaining power and in dealing with more and more things, we were becoming more of a more pain to him. And there was one point where I'm just, like, trying we're trying to figure out who the Ebon Call is, because he actually has to be somebody in the city that we already know. And I was like, you know what? My money is that the Ebon Call is the Lord Mayor. And everyone's like, what? No, of course not. No, that's silly. And then we go off. We we stop this major blight that's been plaguing the land. And we come back and the, the city throws us this parade. And we're on this parade with the Lord Mayor. And all of a sudden, the Lord Mayor is assassinated. And everyone's like, well, see, and she couldn't possibly have been the Ebon Call. And I'm like, I'm still not convinced. A little while later in the campaign, we're... We're helping out the new Lord Mayor with, you know, getting settled. We know there's a threat on her life. And so we're trying to help her. And there's some other stuff going on with some of the factions we're dealing with. And we go to a location where we know one of the big bads is and, you know, start a fight there. And the Ebon Cowl appears and he's part of this fight. It's like, holy crap, we didn't know he was here. We thought he was in hiding. And we have this fight with him and he almost gets away when our rogue basically throws a dagger at his back and crits with the sneak attack damage and all of that, and he goes down, they pull off the Ebon Cowl, and it's the freaking Lord Mayor. And I just shouted, I knew it! Nice. Nice. Like, it was it was very gratifying to be, you know, and I mean, it's very possible Tristan could have had somebody else in mind and just decided, hey, you know, the Lord Mayor's actually, that's a, that's a good one to be the Ebon Cowl. Let's go with that. I've done that with players before. I, I've had players, like, during a break, one of them said, man... Good thing the big bad guy's not a vampire. <laughs> he is now. <laughs> so diving into our main topic, let's first define what we mean by riddles. So Merriam-Webster defines a riddle as a mystifying, misleading, or puzzling question posed as a problem to be solved or guessed, or something or someone difficult to understand. Now, riddles have a deep history in fantasy and mythical lore since the dawn of RPGs, since before the dawn of RPGs, probably since the dawn of stories, considering Aesop's fables. And GMs have been trying to use them in their games ever since the dawn of the hobby. Sometimes it goes fantastic. Sometimes it goes horribly wrong. While many GMs have aspired to have a riddle challenge like the game between Bilbo and Gollum in The Hobbit, their players only end up getting frustrated and annoyed by the whole thing because it just bogs down the game and doesn't go where you need it to go. And so we decided we would take an episode of the Gnomecast and talk about riddles as a general concept in games, as a troublesome component of games, and ways in which they can be done better. Now, JT, you initially pitched the topic, so I'm going to hand it over to you and let's get started. 
I think the reason this was on my mind, uh, two reasons. In my most recent game, uh, we were playing Dungeon Crawl Classics, just doing a one-shot, having a lot of fun with it. And there was some bonus treasure that we could have gotten had we solved the riddle. Now, it was bonus treasure. It was not like the door to get into the dungeon. And if we fail the riddle, then no dungeon and no game. So we can talk about that later. We, as a group of players, made the riddle horrifically complex. And (laughs) basically, there was a sarcophagus with 26 tiles on it, and each tile had a pictogram. So we were were taking the uh, metaphorical interpretation of the pictogram when really the first tile was an ant, the letter A. The second tile was a B, the letter B. The, the, the third one was a cat, I think, for the letter C, so on and so forth. And there was an inscription on the tomb that had four missing letters, obviously missing letters out of different places in the inscription. And you take the letters in the order they're missing and you push those tiles, those letter tiles. And, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to find words that associate with the metaphor that's associated with the pictogram on the tile and trying to figure out. How many do we push? Which, one, which ones do we push? Um, we finally figured it out. And the reason we figured it out is my family and I have been playing a great series of games called Hunt a Killer. They're episodic. So there's six episodes per story. And it's all riddle solving. It, it's all uh, escape room style. Uh, but you're sitting at your kitchen table, uh, escape room style solving riddles. I will say as a... A true crime aficionado, I have heard Hunter Killer advertised many times. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. And it's a lot of fun. We had, There was one that was too easy for us, so we didn't have a lot of fun with that one, because it was just, we blew through it real quick. So it felt like kind of like a waste of money, but all the others that we've done are have been fantastic. Um, really enjoy them, give them a big thumbs up. But anyway, by doing the Hunter Killer, I've honed my riddle solving skills, including the whole missing letter from a word, oh, there's missing letters here. Let's put the missing letters together. Oh, it spells blah, blah, blah. And that's the, the password or the, the solution to the riddle, that kind of thing. And I've also learned about Caesar ciphers, which I knew a little bit about. At bash ciphers, substitution ciphers, not encryption, but encoding, which those are two totally different things. The point is to hide information. So that's where they share a similarity. But encoding information can be reversed back into plain text. Whereas encryption, if you... Well, these days with computers, if you don't have the decryption key, tough. You're, yeah. you're not getting in unless you're maybe the NSA or a Bitcoin farmer that decides to crack a code instead of making money. Now, we mentioned a little bit that riddles are a foundational aspect of fantasy stories, tropes, but they also can be found in other games. Like you even mentioned, you know, encoded versus encrypted. That leads into all kinds of spy games. It can be found in almost any genre if there's that puzzle to figure out. Right. So so let's think back to the Internet even just eight to 10 years ago. You had to have a password for every website you went to and password managers were not a thing. Unless you worked in the government, they had their own. But let's ignore that for now. Public consumer, you didn't have a password manager or maybe you had a text file on your desktop called passwords.txt. Please don't do that. Oh, my God, please don't do that. So, you know, you had, let's say, 100 websites to log into. So maybe you had one password. Maybe you had a different one for your bank but everything else used this common password. And you don't want to forget that password because now you're locked out of 99 websites. So it's going to be like your dog's name concatenated with your birthday and maybe an exclamation point on the end. In game use, you could be trying to hack bad guys' bank account or social media or whatever. 
and you know that he has a dog, but you don't know the dog's name. So now you have to break into his veterinarian office, find the, the pet's <laughs> records, right? It kind of leads there. And you, you find out that dog's name is Loki or whatever. And uh, now you got to find the guy's birthday and you do all these permutations and boom, you got his password. That's a riddle. It's not presented as the classic Sphinx asking Oedipus, you know, the question, but it is a riddle to be solved. So that can be done in your spy games, your sci-fi games, probably not so much fantasy, urban fantasy for sure. Definitely. Cause that's typically set in the modern world. So, so there you go. So, so there's some, some fun things you can do modern times riddle wise. I mean, honestly, if you take the riddle out of the formal concept of a riddle as a game, a riddle can refer to the core mystery of almost any game where you're trying to figure, you know, solve the mystery figure out what happened and why. Now, one of the the problems with this type of riddle slash puzzle is the issue of character skill and knowledge versus player (laughs) skill and knowledge. Right. You can have a a really smart character where the player just has no clue about the riddle and is just stuck. And then vice versa, you can have the really smart player who's already figured it out, but they're playing a character that's dumb as a box of rocks and in character shouldn't be able to figure this out. Jared, how do you handle this type of thing in game? I just pictured like a superhero game where people were playing like Batman, Detective Chimp and the Elongated Man. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that I was thinking about where if you do want to go the more mechanical route is if you set this up like a multi-phase skill challenge One of the things that makes this a little bit more um, satisfactory to just use the skill checks is not to have somebody just make an intelligence check or whatever, but to describe, you know, you know how many phases it's going to take for people to figure this out. And you have each person explain how the skill that they're about to use is justified in helping them figure out this riddle. So, for example, you might have somebody that, you know, makes a history check to remember if you know, some famous hero ever had to tell this, you know, this, uh, you know, had to deal with this riddle before. And someone else makes a perception check to see if, like, some of the letters are uh, scrawled on the wall slightly differently. And by the time you get through with everyone uh, making their checks, if they're successful, then it feels a lot more like the characters did some mental work and not just that you resorted to rolling a die. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how I like handling that when I don't want to worry about whether I'm overthinking something and playing Riddler with my players. You know, the idea of the the riddle slash puzzle is like, it's so deep in the idea of designing games and they're in a lot of video games, Mm -hmm. but in a video game, if I pound my head on a puzzle for long (laughs) enough, I can just go find a cheat website that tells me how to solve it and move on. And I don't get that at the role-playing game table. Mm -hmm. Like, I I have a friend who was playtesting a game, and he handed us a puzzle. And it was basically a Sudoku puzzle. And I'm like, (laughs) I I actually like Sudoku puzzles, but I really don't want to take the next 15, 20 minutes of the game as I puzzle this out. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because one, that's just me fiddling with the paper. And, you know, it's like he came up with some other ways to include what he was going for in that moment like let's take a moment and talk about all the bad puzzles <laughs> that we've had to deal with over the years because all of us have gamed long enough that we've had the game that ground to a halt because you you know like jt you mentioned at the beginning you had a riddle puzzle to figure out to get some bonus treasure 
But in the days of yore, I remember that being the door to the rest of the adventure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if you couldn't figure it out, well, that's the end of the game session. Right. Uh, guess you guys should go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, game masters, don't do that to your group because it's very uh, disappointing to the players. And don't do it to yourself because guess what? You prepped that 842 room dungeon behind that door. <laughs> and if the players can't get through the door, you just wasted a whole lot of time prepping those 842 rooms. It's frustrating. Even if you throw out the quote unquote easy riddle, maybe the players haven't heard it before. You, you got to set up a system for hints. Whether it's a skill check, or I'm going to spend some inspiration, or uh, a Benny in Savage Worlds, or whatever the meta currency mechanic is, to give them a hint and be prepared with like two to four hints. If they spend enough collectively as a group, spends enough of that currency, like if everybody spends an inspiration point, then one of them remembers their grandfather telling them the same riddle, so they know the answer. At that point, the game master just gives them the answer, and the door opens up to the 842-room dungeon that they're about to go explore. But when we were talking about this offline, JT, you mentioned the, the concept of the author that writes a riddle into their story knows the answer and can come up with the riddle yeah. to fit the answer. Yeah, that, that's how I've heard it described. Uh, I know a lot of mystery writers. I don't tend to write mystery. I'm kind of a more of an action-adventure kind of guy with magic involved. Well, actually, I've, I've got my Bounty Hunter uh, series, Modern Mythology. When the job is handed to my protagonist by one of the deities of the ancient world, I know what he's going to be looking for, whether it's a, a, a griffin or a pixie or a whatever. As soon as that job is given to him, I know when and where and how he's going to find said creature because I get to make it all up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not collaborating with anybody. I, I'm not telling a punchline and having somebody come up with the joke that matches it. It's, it's all in my head. So <laughs> I'm in a safe place to get it wrong during my outlining process. And by the time I get it to prose, I've got it right. And I think it can be very tempting for a GM to treat a riddle the same way, oh, yeah. not really understanding the fact that the players may not even, and, and this can happen in any kind of mystery you set up in your game. You have a very logical outline of what's going on in your head and your players just don't have the same frame of reference or the same grasp of the clues that you thought they would. Mm -hmm. So you end up with the situation where they're you you it's all obvious to you as the GM. You wrote it. Yep. Well, what's interesting to me about that is um, as much as I am not the best riddle person when it comes to playing games, one of my favorite Batman villains is Riddler. And one of the things that you realize when you pay attention to how Riddler actually works in the comics, not so much with the old 66 series, but Riddler cheats like he is doing exactly what we're talking about. He doesn't care if it's fair because in his mind, he knows the answer to it. And if other people are not smart enough to have the same context that he has, he doesn't care because the entire purpose of him doing these things is to make himself feel smarter than other people. And on top of that, where the story usually revolves is that Riddler throws out a couple riddles and eventually starts throwing out riddles that l intentionally lead people off the track. So at that point, Batman has to start realizing, OK, why did he throw me off here? And I need to do the opposite. I guess what I'm trying to get at is sometimes the riddle is a cheat. So maybe you have to cheat to get around the riddle. Sometimes you present a riddle and you don't really need to solve the riddle. The riddle is there to make somebody stop and go. Wait, why can't we go through the door? Well, there's a riddle over here that told us we have to uh, solve the riddle before we go th through the door. But what if we just go through the door? You know, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. you know that's, it's that thing that makes you stop and wonder about that. 
earlier, and you were mentioning like what the worst riddles we have run run into um, in games have been. And one of the things I've seen this happen a couple times. And the one that I hate the absolute most is when there is a riddle that uses a synonym in how the riddle is constructed. And it's really simple if you actually take out the synonym and use the other version of the word. And that one always makes me mad because it's like (laughs) in and of how it's constructed, that's a cheat. You know, it's basically you are using the wrong word. So there's no reason for you to think that that word is not being used properly. But the only way to solve the, the, the riddle is to assume that that word is wrong and then you get your answer. So that's that's one of my least favorite ones. I hate that. <laughs> you know, we, we talked about a little bit about the, the bad side of riddles being the frustration your your players can have because they can't figure it out and how you've locked the entire adventure behind mm-hmm. it. But there's also the, the the anxiety of putting somebody on the spot. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jared? Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, I am not, you know, I am more than happy to share with people that, you know, I have some mental health issues that revolve around anxiety. I'm on medication for it. And there are times when I am very uncomfortable in certain situations. Normally, I am at home at a game table. I'm sitting there. I'm in my element. I'm cool with this. But as soon as a GM says something along the lines of this should be easy or I can't believe you you aren't getting this. That immediately spikes my anxiety because then I start feeling like there is something wrong with me. I am not getting this. The entire table knows there's something wrong with me. And while other people may not feel it as acutely, I think that is one of those things you have to be really careful about because whenever you do something like that, you are kind of putting someone on the spot and saying, this is something that requires intelligence. Therefore, if you cannot do it, maybe you don't have intelligence. And that can be extremely stressful for people at at the table. Yeah. And and I think a lot of times when GMs do that, like, why aren't you figuring out this out? This is so easy. It's like because they're forgetting that they have all of the clues. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like they know the solution already. Your players aren't figuring out the mystery of who murdered this person. It's like, OK, they're struggling because they're missing some of the context of the clues that you have already deeply embedded in your brain. And if the GM isn't embracing the gumshoe philosophy of like, just give the players the damn clues, (laughs) you can end up with situations where, oh, well, they didn't roll well enough to get this clue. And then the players never can figure it out. Let's talk about some ways to do riddles right or better. JT, how do you make them more fun for your players and not end up with these bottlenecks or frustrations? So I keep them super simple, like one step. So if I'm doing a Caesar cipher, And for those of you at home that don't know, Caesar Cipher is a shifted alphabet. So a Caesar Cipher step one means that A, if you see an A, it actually means it's a B. If you see a B, it actually means it's a C, so on and so forth. And obviously, there's 25 different ways to shift the alphabet to create a Caesar Cipher. So there's 25 different variations. Anyway, I don't Caesar Cipher something and then run it through some other encoding algorithm because that's a two-step decoding. That is just stupid mean. Don't don't do that to your players. So a one-step decoding or a very simple answer to a riddle. And I will accept, you know, like, like on Jeopardy, if you don't say who is blah, 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 and you don't say their name right, you, you get the question or you get the answer wrong or a question wrong, however you phrase it. Me, I'm very open and generous. If you get close enough, ding, 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 ding you win, I take the answer. So, so that's how I do, I just keep it simple. And no red herrings. I don't like red herrings in general in my games. In general, they're a bad idea. They're just really bad idea, right? <laughs> Believe me, your players are going to make them up on their own. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. But in a riddle, 
it, like uh, Jared was talking about the, the the substituted word that throws off the the meaning of the riddle or the interpretation of the riddle. That's kind of a red herring because that and it also makes mm-hmm. it a two step process. You've got to convert a word to a different word so that the sentence or question now makes sense, and then you get to answer said question. So yeah, no red herrings. Not in the middle of a riddle. That that's just that's detestable. Jared, you've done a lot with with skill challenges. How do you how do you structure one of these so the players can still feel like they're involved in it, but have that backup plan of you know being able to rely on a skill or an attribute? Well, here's here's one of the things that I I think is interesting because as we've been talking about this, I've been going through in my head and thinking about. What pop culture references do we have to different riddles and things like that? And one of the things that I thought of is if you think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when he's going through his his father's notebook and he's reading all of the uh, clues that they have, and it says only the penitent man can enter. Right. Here's the funny thing about that. We know that the zero level people that walk through there that don't know that got their heads cut off. Your PCs aren't zero level. So if they solve that and know they're supposed to bow, maybe they get... Uh, advantage on a dexterity save as opposed to just saying no your head's cut off because you couldn't solve the riddle (laughs) in other words there's a benefit to being able to solve the riddle but on the other hand if you send your rogue through first they probably aren't going to get their head cut off you know (laughs) right right (laughs) even the next um the next part of the uh the thing in the the last crusade was the uh you know walking in the 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 path of, of christ and then he stepped on the wrong one he actually failed that one stepped on the wrong one his foot went through again you can have someone make a save you can make these riddles into things that are bonuses for skill checks and then people still can use their skills if they just want to power through it they can it's not going to stop them from proceeding it's just something that's going to tell them hey if we did want to engage with the riddle part of this maybe this would be a little easier one of the things i think you can also do is just use the riddles as flavor Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, I've done this a couple of times where the players are given a prophecy or a prediction that reads like a riddle, and it's specific enough to the character to make it feel personal, but vague enough that the player, you know, I can just let the player find what that means later on in the game. In my current Eberron campaign, they were at Morgrave University, which has a gynosphinx in residence, and she asked them for a favor when they go to Zendrick, and as a gift for asking for this favor, she gave each of them a prophecy. And, like, they have no <laughs> idea what she means, what she's talking about, you know, like, they, they were things like, you will find the ancient past you seek far below where you would ever expect and it's like the players like I have no idea what that means, but it's right. like you can still build that flavor of the riddle, the mystery into the game without having to have it be, you know, an on the spot puzzle that the characters must solve at the moment. I've even uh, done that where people have had their uh, the, their fortunes told and I will tell the player, for example, they told your fortune. We're not going to go into exactly what they said, but when the moment comes Depending on what card we pull, either you can re-roll uh, an attack or a save or a skill, you know, a, a skill roll. And when they, you know, whenever they actually use that, then I will actually throw out the phrase that the person used for them. And then they can go, oh, that's what that meant. You know, and then it nice. feels like they have always had that in their head. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't find my notes with any of the exact 
prophecies I gave my players, but, you know, they were tailored to each one. Just a little bit of like something, you know, like I'm working on bringing into the game for them, uh, but also something I know that they're looking for for their character, but phrased kind of in different ways. So I think we've covered a lot of this. Is there Are there any last words either of you have on Riddles? I would just like to point out that when you brought up the uh, Bilbo and Gollum thing, Bilbo won that by cheating. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yes, he did. He's the Riddler. <laughs> any last words from you, JT? Nah, I'm good. I think I've said everything I wanted to say when showing up, so. How about you, Angie? <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. I think I said all my words. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can be a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Phone a Greek Legend. Has the Sphinx asked you that impossible riddle? Do you need help opening the Box of Sorrows? Has Dr. Schrodinger absconded with your cat and you're not sure if it's dead or alive right now? You need the help of someone with the qualifications of Oedipus. For a small, per-minute fee, you can phone a Greek legend and get assistance on your riddles, puzzles, and mysteries. If you're enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's another one to check out. Dico with Advantage. Ange and Jared love talking about RPGs and D&D. Together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal, and then they tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. They're going to talk anyway, so they might as well record it. Maybe you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you'll never use. (laughs) It's like like we don't talk enough on the notecast. (laughs) Didn't this kind of start because we did keep talking after we were finished recording? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to? JT, go. All right, I'm going to shout out an anthology today. I picked it up, uh, oh, about two weeks ago. It's called We Dare, No Man's Land. The subtitle is an anthology of strong female leads. It's 15 science fiction stories featuring strong female characters, strong female leading characters, I should say. Um, And we'll have the link for the anthology in the show notes. Full disclosure, I'm friends with well over half authors in here and the editors as well. Uh, But I picked it up at a friend's book signing Uh, I've only read about two and a half of the story so far, but oh, man, I'm blown away by the quality of the the, the storytelling uh, and the the quality of the the, the characters and the stories and all that. It's it's been really fun so far. Uh, So that's it for me. How about you, Ange? I'm going to give a shout out to Busy Wizard Dice, who I follow on Instagram. Uh, She makes really awesome dice with some really cool, intricate features, and she documents the process on Instagram. She has an Etsy shop where she sells And she is going to be opening up commissions sometime later this fall. Even if you can't afford a set of fancy personal dice, uh, it is totally worth following her for how she makes these things, what she does, and how cool these dice end up being. Uh, And again, it's Busy Wizard Dice at Instagram, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Jared, go! I wanted to shout out Brandis Stoddard. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a game designer. You might know his work because he wrote one of the adventures in the Candlekeep Adventures anthology that uh, Wizards of the Coast put out. And I just wanted to shout out his Patreon because he does a lot of designing uh, different things. He's designed extra backgrounds, fey bargains, different spells, subclasses. He's done a whole bunch of other stuff. So you may want to go and check out that Patreon and... Uh, Give it a look and maybe throw a little bit of uh, money his way. Very cool. I think that wraps up today's episode. I guess I won't throw you in the stew pot, but that's probably partially because I can't figure out how to get it open. Someone put a puzzle lock on it. 
We'll have to talk to John Arcadian about that. I suspect he's the culprit. 